When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Do you know a high schooler who is a natural leader and loves to give back to their community? The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Student Visionaries of the Year program might be the perfect opportunity. Forming strong teams to support them, Student Visionaries of the Year candidates fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. This seven-week philanthropic leadership development program helps students gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Not to mention, it looks great on college applications. But most importantly, it's a chance for students to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Sunday, August 21st, and we are airing the second part of an interview with Cal Newport. This was recorded earlier, so don't go too crazy if you think that maybe we're not talking about what's happening right this moment, but Cal is the author of A World Without Email, Reimagining Work in an Age of Communication Overload. Mark and I have found so much of Cal's advice really helpful for us in just managing our own email, managing our own digital lives, and he has been a great friend to the podcast. So here is the second part of our interview with Cal Newport. Let's get into some of the ways that we can help people who still exist in these organizations that they feel trapped by that email. So what can we do on the individual level to make our lives a little bit better if we're in the confine of that prison? By the way, the bigger point here is that this is actually not an antagonistic relationship sort of between management employees. The the C-suite also is starting to recognize that this is leaving a huge amount of productivity on their table. So I think hope is coming. But in the in the near future, what you can actually do, and here's what I've observed, you can start to do this process optimization asymmetrically. That is just focusing on what you control as an individual without announcing what you're doing, without asking for permission, without annoying people with autoresponders. You can just start optimizing what you can in these processes and see a massive improvement in the pull of your inbox on your mind. So like this might mean, for example, uh, here's like a report. I collaborate with some people to produce every week. Like right now, we kind of just rock and roll an email. You might send them a message and say, OK, yeah, here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm thinking. Like I will have a draft of this report in our Dropbox by noon on Monday put any comments, just label them right there on the PDF, right? Uh, I'll pick it up Tuesday morning uh, to take a look at it. You know, I have this office hours Tuesday afternoon where I'm just always on Zoom and available by phone. So if there's like a problem we really have to discuss, just grab me then and we can really get into it. And then my plan will be COB Tuesday. I'm going to uh, place it in the folder where the production team grabs it, right? You've really created a process here that has avoided 
back and forth emails. And remember, every back and forth email you have to send is going to generate a dozen checks. That's why the change you made was so consequential because, you know, your, your producer might say, yeah, it's simple. Just why not just send it to you by email? But no, if you're going to send this by email, that means I have to check my inbox a hundred times a week to see if that email came in. So it's disastrous, even if in the moment it seems simpler. So now you've just created a process in this example. You're not telling people it's a process. You're not telling them about Cal Newport. They're just like, great. I'm glad, you know, Jill's on it. Sounds like a good plan. I'm going to move on. Or you look at, oh, I schedule a lot of meetings. And there's a lot of back and forth emails to schedule these meetings, which means it generates hundreds and hundreds of checks to wait for these messages. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll use schedule once or mm-hmm. Calendly, like one of these tools that allows a single message booking. Like, yeah, here's all my times. Grab whatever's convenient for you. You do this process by process. What can I do that I control that's going to reduce? And again, the metric here is so critical. The amount of back and forth messaging required for this process to actually complete. Just doing this on your own can significantly improve the amount of time you have to keep coming back and checking this inbox. Okay. Mark wants this question answered. And I think that he is in a place where we get thousands and thousands of emails. I mean, so many, because we're asking people to send us questions and we answer them on the air. He feels this overwhelming guilt that he doesn't get back to everybody. What we do is on the show, we'll say, hey, we can't get back to everybody. Um, We have an autoresponder on, which is basically like, thank you so much for your email. But how can he manage his guilt? You now have to be Mark's shrink. Well, you know, I've been through this myself. I I had to do this with the, the questions I used to get for my website. And now that I run a podcast in which I answer questions, you can imagine that a lot come in. My consolation to Mark is that expectations trump accessibility. This seems to be a really ironclad rule in the world of professional communication that if, you know, a listener is coming to your website and it says, here's how you submit your questions. We look at them all. We appreciate it. We can't actually answer them. They're not unhappy because the expectation is clear. Oh, I don't expect a response. Great. So I'm sending my question. I don't expect a response. I'm happy. Uh, Accessibility is only something that people demand, like, let's say in like a client relationship, if they don't Mm -hmm. otherwise know what's going on. Like people complain a lot. Well, I have a client that bothers me all the time over email. They would never put up with a process that reduced how easily they could reach us. But time and again, I document examples where that's not the case because the reason the client is bothering you all the time is that they just don't trust that you're organized or getting things done and it's on the top of their mind and they want to just shoot it over to you so they don't have to think about it. But if there was something more structured, and here's an actual example from the book, like a once a week call, we write down everything we committed to doing and we send it to you after the call. You know, you do something like that and suddenly the client's like, great, I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to bother you. It's an ironclad rule. Expectations trump accessibility. Your listeners are not unhappy that Mark isn't answering. If it is clear that this is how it works, you submit your questions this way. We appreciate them. Thank you. We're not able to answer the messages. They're okay with that. And I think the more general rule here is having these clear expectations, especially when you're looking outside of your organization to people, incoming clients, listeners, et cetera, clear expectations about how communication happens. That is way more important than exactly how much communication is actually available to them. What are some of the tools that you see out there that are really helping some organizations? And and also thinking about like, just let's say that you're self-employed, you're, um, you've got either a side hustle or you've got, you know, a gig of some sort, you know, but it, it's more than like I'm an Uber driver, but you know, it's something else like that. What are some of the tools out there that you think have you, that you've seen that can really enhance productivity? Uh, like one thing I've seen a lot of is 
the use of project management type tools in which you can have all of the tasks and information related to a particular process or project in one place where everyone shares it and everyone can see it and everyone can see the status, who's working on what, where is it, where all the information is. So getting that out of inboxes and moving it to a place where it's all visible. So this can be done with Trello. This can be done with Asana. This can be done with Flow. This can be done with Basecamp. I mean, there's any number of tools that have this functionality baked in, but it's not so much the specific tool as much as the process here. Uh, Mm -hmm. So to give an example of this in action, I talk about a marketing firm in the book, small marketing firm, like dozen, dozen employees. They were completely overwhelmed with email, 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 email. Like everything was just going back. You have one inbox, you know, it's your name at company.com, completely overwhelmed. They switch over to Trello and they say, we're going to have one Trello board for every client. And then that Trello board has all the information for that client. Like here's the things that we're working on. Here's the things that are going to happen in phase two. Here's all the notes from all the calls we've had with that client. They're all attached to these virtual cards. They're over here in this column. Every card is being worked on right now. Every task gets labeled like, you know, uh, Davish who ran this company, he's working on this. Cal's working on that. Everything was right there. And he said it completely changed the way they work. But before you would just open your inbox and you're seeing messages from all your different clients and trying to deal with everything at the same time. Now they became much more sequential. Okay, I'm working on this client. Let me load up that client's board. And that's all I'm seeing right now. This, that client, just information about that client. And I can just work on that client until I've made progress on something and I've updated that board. And then I ask, okay, what's next? And like that little change, if you, <laughs> Davisha was almost like tears to his eyes. If you hear him, if you want to interview him for the book, he's like, it just completely changed my life. I was actually working on things and not just trying to keep up with the chatter. So uh, definitely those boards play a big role in a lot of these companies. I think that sounds so awesome because, okay, so again, let me, translating it into my own life, as you're talking, I'm thinking like, I'm working on a Sunday morning piece, you know, for CBS Sunday morning. And these are big, long pieces. So it takes a lot to bring them all together. And so I'm thinking like, oh, if I had a Trello board just with my producer and my editor and the fact checker on the story, and like we had a, like we could just kind of look at that and, start doing that instead of me worrying about like, is Alan sending me an email to my CBS email or to my Gmail and where, you know, it's so much easier. So now I'm thinking that maybe I should, I'm going to start experimenting with this and see if I can get some people involved. I kind of love the idea of doing what you can do and maybe even saying like, if you test it out, you could even bring it to a boss and say like, hey, you know, I've been doing this for the last three months. It's been awesome. Maybe you want to try it with other people, you know, with other correspondents and their producers. I just like the idea of a way not to be tethered to this thing called the inbox. And the, the message to to accompany that, if you're talking to a boss or talking to your team, is to underscore, underscore, underscore the need to constantly check these inboxes, which is what happens if you are coordinating using back and forth messaging, is a productivity gut punch. It is terrible for the company. It makes us worse at what we're doing. It takes more time. It's making us miserable. I keep coming back to that. I I mean, working with the hyperactive hive mind, I think is cognitively equivalent to having someone come around every hour or so and give you a shot of whiskey to take. It's having a similar impact on your ability to think clearly and get things done. That's key because a lot of uh, old think on this, old think on this is, oh, this is productive. And so people are complaining because they just find it inconvenient. So there's this old boss think of like, you know, work is hard and you don't like that it's hard, but this is actually way more productive to email all the time. I really trying to flip the script. That's why I, I wrote, I think it's like the definitive section on the impact of this on your brain. I talked to the scientist. I went back and traced all the data because I wanted right up front in my book, something you could show to a boss that makes it clear. No, no, no. This isn't about 
I don't like being distracted. Stop bothering me. This is about this has to be one of the worst possible ways you could organize a bunch of people to actually produce value with their brain. We will produce more, better stories, better pieces, more stories, more pieces, more retention. Everything will get better if we move past this. The only cost we have to pay is, yeah, it's a pain to figure out how are we going to use this Trello board to organize our Sunday stories. You know, we have these these set real-time conversations, set times on the calendar. We have a Trello board. That's more of a pain than just rock and rolling an email, but the story is going to be better. You know, so we just have to get over that pain of, yeah, these processes are annoying to set up. It's not as flexible. It's not as convenient. But the entire history of the intersection of commerce and technology says that the best ways to produce things are never the easiest ways to do it. I mean, that's the entire history. It's hard. Right. And the idea here is that the upfront time that you spend doing it is going to bear so much more fruit over the longer term. Cal, what have you learned during working from home that has surprised you about yourself? Well, you know, I went deep on remote work during lockdowns and the pandemic. I went deep on this topic because I did a big article for The New Yorker on this to try to understand, well, what's the impact of all this remote work? And the the thing I came away from that surprised me, uh, but I think is important, is when you go fully remote, especially when you do this suddenly, it exasperates all of these issues of the hyperactive hive mind. So companies and teams that were kind of barely holding it together in real offices with all this back and forth messaging or this or that are spiraling out of control once everyone is remote. So I have this optimistic gloss that maybe this will raise the pain of the hyperactive hive mind past that tolerant threshold enough that it finally pushes a lot of companies to say, okay, we probably need to actually take the time to figure out in advance better ways of organizing. Because, hey, the areas of the knowledge sector that already really structure how they organize their work, like software development, where they use Scrum and Agile methodologies, where there's task boards and Scrum masters and weekly stand-up meetings, and everyone knows what they're working on and why, and they figure that all out, they had no problem going remote. They have no problem. They have just huge software teams that have been running remote for years. Everyone else... It's been chaotic because if you take the hive mind and then you turn it up 20% by making everyone remote, it starts to get basically unbearable. Okay, that's it for Cal Newport. We'll have him on the show again soon, I am sure, because he is a prolific author and he's really smart too. So if you have any financial questions, just go to jillonmoney.com, click the contact us button. Let us know if you would be willing to come on the air. While you're there, you can check out all the great content. And if you have a suggestion for a new resource to add to our resources section, I'm looking to beef that up this fall. So check it out and maybe give us some ideas about places where you go on the web to find great financial or personal financial information. Okay, that's it for the program. Do something nice for someone else today. Maybe that is maybe leaving us a rating or review on Apple. That would be nice. We'd like that. Grit, growth, grace. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, 
I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.